good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius, and this week I'm riding solo this week. Uh, Chris is not here with us this week. He'll be back with us next week. So if you're listening, Chris, you know, we miss you here. Hope you come back next week. So with that, let's let's dive into some college football. With the college football playoff, I feel we're at the home stretch, obviously. One of the things, there are a lot of storylines. Let me preface with that. Because I believe that do you have the four best teams in the country? If you ask me today, I would say I'm very confident about three of those teams. You know, the four teams in the college football playoff right now is Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. Ohio State, and and listening to Chris, and I give him a little, I give him, I give him credit here, is that Ohio State, and I, it's not a knock on the Big Ten, but Ohio State dominating their conference, and and I'm gonna you know have a stat, you know later on to kind of put it in perspective, but when I saw the Indiana game and I watched it and I said. There's some validity to what Chris was saying because I wanted to believe that, well, Ohio State's unstoppable. They can't be beat. But when I saw the way that Justin Fields played, and more importantly, how that Ohio State defense played, I haven't seen Ohio State play that bad of a defense in a very, very, very long time. They really missed Chase Young on the edge, and they definitely missed Jeff Okuda, you know, you know on the outside. But there are a lot of storylines here because the reason why Ohio State's hanging on, I believe, is that Indiana is considered a quality win. And Indiana's, you know, watch how Indiana plays the next couple of games because Indiana has to keep winning to keep Ohio State at four, in my opinion, because I'm not the kind of belief to say that, well, one lost team is not great as a team that's undefeated. No, I look at, you know, I look at the numbers. I look at the game. It's the eye test, and it's and it's the numerical test. It's what I the stats. And speaking of what I just mentioned earlier, there's a stat out there that I believe merges two of the concepts that I feel are very integral in making decisions about who are the best teams are in the country. And it's the simple rating system from the folks at Stathead who do a very good job over there. And essentially what this, you know, what SRS or simple rating system is, it's a rating that takes into account point differential and strength of schedule. So this year, more than ever, I don't necessarily feel that strength of schedule is super important. Now, am I saying that, you know, one conference is better than the other? Absolutely not. What I am simply conjecturing is we have to factor in that, listen, a lot of non-conference games that were very, very good games are not being played because of COVID. So that's a factor. But the one factor that I've always said has stood out and is integral excuse me, it's integral, is 
point differential. Because if you're playing, if you're Alabama, and Alabama's playing, yeah, people say, oh, will they play, oh, Western Carolina, Northern Illinois? Okay. Okay, fine. That's strength of schedule. That's a piece of it. But if they beat the brakes off of them, it kind of cancels it out and they merge it together. So it takes a little, I'm not going to say it takes the air out of the argument that strength of schedule is important. It is important. And I, I believe I mentioned that some time ago. Yeah, it's important. But you have to understand, if they're that bad, then you should be able to beat them by at least four touchdowns. And Alabama's done that. They've pretty much done that all season. So when you look at the top four teams like Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State, listen, you look at Ohio State and people are like, oh, well, Indiana's good. Yes, but it shouldn't have been that close. Justin Fields did that. That didn't look that didn't look good at all. It really didn't. Now, am I saying, "Oh, Ohio State's trash"? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, when you throw in the SRS system, it puts into perspective what Ohio State truly is, and it puts a lot of teams that I feel you know in perspective. So, when you look at the SRS, so now there's a lower. Here's the thing. There's a lower kind of, you know, tier of seven points to essentially 24 points. So it's so the lower, so the kind of the lower bend is at seven. And excuse me, lower bound, excuse me. There's a lower bound of seven points and there's an upper bound of 24 points. So it, that's what kind of balances out, balances out. So we look at Alabama. Alabama's SRS is 21.38. That's second in the country. Notre Dame's is 18.27. Six. Clemson, best in the country at 21.65. Ohio State is 14.88. It's seven. So when you put it in perspective, it kind of adds to Chris's point that Yes, Ohio State may not play anybody, but when they do play somebody, it's close. You know, they're not blowing them out of the water all the time. And the reality is, you can easily justify Clemson and Alabama being there, which makes it interesting, which is a theory that I talked about, I believe, last week, where I said, if Florida, you know, beats Tennessee, which I'll talk about Tennessee, you know, in a minute. If they go on the road and take care of business, they clinch the SEC East and they play Alabama. So in that scenario, if Florida beats Alabama, Alabama's one loss team, you would have to, I would assume you would put Florida in because they did win a conference championship. So now what do you do with Alabama? My whole thing is that Alabama drops to maybe two, Three at the lowest. People are like, well, what do you mean? Because Alabama's simple rating system. Listen, they've been pretty good except for one game. And it hasn't been close. When you look at Notre Dame and, you know, Ohio State, a lot of close games that maybe you could argue maybe shouldn't have been that close. Now, 
before I get, you know, say hate mail, I'm not saying Notre Dame is trash. I like Ian Book. I like the job that Brian Kelly's doing. And they really benefited this year from playing in a conference. And I hope that they understand that playing in a conference helps. And it's not knocking those are independent, but playing in a conference gets you credibility. You know, especially if it fits from a geographical perspective. So basically, out of the four, the worst SRS, the two worst, are Notre Dame and Ohio State. And I believe those are the two more dangerous because here's the thing. Clemson gets another shot at Notre Dame in the ACC championship. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, then the question is, what do you do with Notre Dame? Because I believe when you look at that, you can make a case that Notre Dame slips. And people may say that's not fair. That's their first loss. But the difference between that first loss and Alabama's for potential first loss, these are all hypotheticals, is, is that throughout the season, Alabama's been consistently good. And they just slipped in the last game. Notre Dame has played close. Alabama has not been really played close all season. So with that being said, now you look at teams 5 through 10. Well, in this case, you look at teams 5 through maybe, you know, 7 or 8. Texas A&M is at 5. Florida's at 6. Cincinnati, undefeated Cincinnati, is at 7. And Georgia somehow was at 8. And I just don't agree with that whatsoever. I, I think that's I'll I'll get to that. So now we look at Texas A&M's. SRS, 6.53, that's 36th in the country. Florida, 14.09, that's 10th in the country. But the only reason why Texas A&M is ahead of Florida because of the head-to-head, that's it. Now, we look at Cincinnati, Cincinnati undefeated, 20.50, that's third in the country. So, essentially, they are just behind Alabama. The SRS balances it out because if you match them strength of schedule, yeah, there may be a gap, but the SRS keeps it in perspective to say, hey, listen, who are you beating and how are you beating them? Because that, to me, is a huge factor. And you look at Georgia, Georgia and Iowa State at nine have no business being in the top 10. I'll say it. I'll say it. Did not oh, Iowa State lose to was it Louisiana? And I'm not once again not knocking Louisiana, not, not knocking the Raging Cajuns, but no. And for Georgia, don't get me started, but I'm going to start anyway. I argue if it wasn't for their defense, they'd have lost two. They would have lost. An additional game on top of the game they lost to Florida. They could have lost maybe two other games. The defense keeps them in the game. What Georgia, what you're seeing in Georgia is what the SEC stood for maybe the last 15, 20 years. Where it was defense, you run the ball, and that and that's fine. That's great. But when you don't have a quarterback, and remember, Jake Fromm wasn't exactly setting the world on fire either. Let's put that in perspective. 
Okay, let's put that in some perspective. Georgia doesn't have a quarterback. Iowa State, okay, they have Brock Purdy. But Georgia? Listen, you know, one of their, that Dewan Mathis, he entered the portal. You got JT Daniels, who you could argue should have been starting maybe, you could argue, but they went with, you know, they went with Bennett. The reality is Georgia doesn't have a quarterback. The reality is, how do you put them ahead of, you know, BYU? An undefeated BYU. This is what I say. The committee needs to look at the SRS. Because if you can't just look at strength of schedule on its own, and then point differential on its own, and think, okay, well, we're going to eliminate BYU because they haven't played anybody. I said, you want to balance that out. If you look at their SRS, by the way, 18.28, that's fifth in the country. So my point is, is that and they're number 13, by the way, in the college football playoff rankings. So you want to know who they're ahead of in that category? Literally everybody else in that, the teams I mentioned earlier, with the exception of Cincinnati, who's also undefeated. So the two undefeated teams are in the top five of the country in SRS. They understand their conference isn't great. They understand that. They don't need me or ESPN or Twitter or social media to tell them that. But they have talent in these programs. You know, Zach Wilson, that guy could be, he's a first-round quarterback. BYU is a very, very good team. Desmond Ritter, Luke Fickle, over there in Cincinnati, has them playing fantastic. They're great teams. If Cincinnati gets past Tulsa, I think we that's another win over a ranked team. I said the reason why you have the committee have them ranked over. This is what upsets me, is that I can understand you putting them seventh behind Texas and Florida. I understand. I get it. But when you look at why BYU is 13th, 13th in the country, and they're undefeated, this is why I say the college football committee does not, they're basically telling you they're not big fans of teams who are not in Power 5 conferences. That's what they're telling you. Notre Dame benefited because they play in a they play in the conference this year. They understood. Listen, if we don't play in the conference this year, our schedule is going to look very, very, very bad. So let's jump in with a conference like the ACC, since we play proponents of our other sports in the ACC. So Notre Dame benefited. Let's just face the reality because they don't beat Clemson if they're independent. Let's let's just be clear on that. They don't necessarily may beat a top 5-10 team if they're not in a conference. So Notre Dame's the big one of the big winners here. The power, listen, that's what the committee's telling you. The committee's telling you you have to play in the Power 5 conference. I'm not saying it's fair, and nor am I saying it's right. But when you, I believe if you put a Cincinnati on a neutral field, they could compete. 
Because remember, UCF. Listen, I was the guy like, I used to, I didn't believe in UCF at first. I'll be the first person to admit that. But when I saw them play, it was in the Fiesta Bowl. I believed in them. I'm like, they could compete with other Power 5 schools in the country. We got hung up on the fact that, oh, we look at their schedule. But we didn't see how they were beating those on their schedule. Because that's that's the balance. The SRS is the balance. It's the peanut butter to the jelly. It's the ketchup to the mustard. It's listen, it's the hall to the oats or hall, oats to the hall. I don't know where you stand on that. But it's the so it balanced balanced each other out. So if you ask me today who I feel the top four teams are, listen. I, I said, listen, I have no problem with Alabama being one. I have no problem with Clemson being three. But you can move Clemson up and move Notre Dame down, but you can't do that because of the head-to-head. Same problem with Texas A&M and Florida. That's why Florida can't be ahead of Texas A&M. Even though they're, you know, the SRS is 26 points higher and better than Texas A&M, you can't justify them moving ahead of Texas A&M because of the head-to-head. Same concept with Notre Dame. Even though Notre Dame and OSU's, they're one and the same, you know, differential there. But going back to Clemson and Notre Dame's, it's Clemson is the best in the country and Notre Dame's the sixth. But that one win over that team, that's keeps them ahead of the team that you could argue could potentially be better. Because you can factor in, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence. The committee thought of that. But the committee, listen, just like how I feel, you don't negate the loss. They beat number one team in the country. You can't knock it because of who who was there who wasn't there. And But speaking of who was there who wasn't there, you know, who's there now on the, on the Heisman list? And, you know, uh, we talked about you know, all four, you know, we talked about all these teams. And to me, these are the best players on their team. Listen, to me, I'll start from, I have four. We'll start from four to one. You know, listen, this could be either Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Hall, whoever you want to put in as four. Because I believe the three players ahead of them have the better shot. And listen, to me, I call it a tie. You know, I think that if Trevor Lawrence beats Notre Dame, I think it puts him back in the conversation a little higher. You know, and we look at Brees Hall, he plays at Iowa State, and yeah, I don't knock, listen, he's the best, you know, he leads the nation in rushing, he's fourth in rushing yards a game. I don't knock, you know, Brees Hall for that. I don't knock him because his, I don't do that. So... That's number four. It's a tie between Trevor Lawrence and Brees Hall. Number three, I have Zach Wilson. This is the player that I, listen, this guy right here, that's a first-round quarterback. This guy could be being the Jordan Love of the draft this year and the forthcoming NFL draft because he falls, Jordan Love fell because of some off the field and the numbers weren't there. I think Zach Wilson falls because I just don't think a lot of teams see him as a starting quarterback. 
They see him behind the UC Taysom Hill, ironically, who came from BYU. They see him as a gadget player more than a quarterback. But you look at his numbers, he's fourth in completion percentage, and he's, and he's first in the nation in points. He's responsible for 184 of BYU's points. That's best in the country. That's best in the country. So, so he's at number three. Number two, I went with Mac Jones. Listen, Mac Jones, when you think of, like I said, Alabama. The, who was the last Alabama quarterback we talked? Listen, Tua, then we got Mac Jones. Like, listen, before Tua, we really didn't talk about the quarterback position. Like, listen, there were some good players like Greg McElroy and A.J. McKay. Listen, you know, listen, they also had Jalen Hurts, too. Listen, they've had good quarterbacks at Alabama. And I'm not saying Mac Jones the best, but listen, Mac Jones is third in passing yards a game, 366. And he's second in completion percentage. He's throwing almost 79% completion percentage. When you look at Alabama, Alabama is still about the run game, but they can sling it. When you have Devontae Smith and you got Najee Harris on offense, listen, you, you, you can win some football games. And they're in the SEC, and that matters. And sticking in the SEC, my number one quarter, listen, you can say homer pick, but it's Kyle Trask. Here's the thing. He's first in points responsible responsible for per game, almost 26 points. He's fourth in pass yards per game. He's in, the, he's in the top 10 in completion percentage. Listen, when you look at Kyle Trask, NFL, NFL folks are really, really high on Kyle Trask. When, I, when you look at these quarterbacks on this list, Trask, Jones, and Wilson, they're NFL guys. And I'm not saying it for hyperbole, but maybe Mac Jones, maybe you could argue maybe late first, early second. But once again, you hear the buzz. You hear the hype. And listen, you know, Dan Mullen knows quarterbacks because he coached Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. Listen, what people don't understand is that, listen, when you look at Kyle Trash play, it's about what's above the neck, which I've always, what me and Chris talk about, and I talk about maybe more than he does, is that it's a neck up position. It's what I said about Blake Bortles. It is not knocking Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles was a quarterback from the neck down. But from the neck up, it was a different situation. And I say that's the difference between quarterbacks. You have to be a little bit more cerebral because you have to read coverages. You have to read. If the blitz is coming, you have to read what the linebacker, you, ha you have to read the field. Essentially, it's like you have to read war and peace, but you have, but you got to read it in less than maybe five to 10 seconds. Because you got to know what's going on at all the time. You got to know where everybody is. You have to be a conductor. You have to be fast. You have to be fast mentally. You have to be, and it's not knocking those, oh, you're saying the quarterback's dumb. No, I'm just saying, listen, you can be you can be super fast and you have a great arm and you can be very athletic. But if you don't know where to put the football, then it's a problem. And there's a quarterback that I mentioned earlier that I'm going to bring up who I, who I feel should be starting. But that's going to be in the next segment. So to put a button on it, Trask, Jones, Wilson, Hall, or Lawrence are my top you know, four or five high-speed winners. And I I wanna I wanna go to Michigan. I I wrote a piece about Michigan 
by Jim Harbaugh. I hope you all took a chance to read it. If you did, I truly do appreciate it. Because there's something I wanted to, I've always wanted to write about because I talked about it. But I said, I want to show you why. Because I show and tell. I could, I've told you, but let me show you. And in the article, I explain, listen, it's time to fire Jim Harbaugh. And listen, what Kurt Herbstreit said, like when he said on the college football playoff show, that quote, I still think Michigan waves the white flag and doesn't play Ohio State next week. Listen, I understood what he said and how it came out, but I'm not defending Kurt Herbstreit. He doesn't need me to defend him. But what I will say is this. What Kurt Herbstreit was trying to tell you is Michigan does not want that smoke from Ohio State. Listen, Ohio State's still the better team. What you saw against Indiana, yeah, that wasn't maybe the Ohio State team, you know, we saw early on. But they're way better. This Michigan team lost to Penn State. And Penn State was arguably worse this year. But the thing is, James Franklin gets a pass because at least he competes for Big Ten Championship or competed for one. Jim Harbaugh has it. And I explained, listen, listen, does he have, he has three 10-win seasons, and that's great if you're at a program like, I think I used Illinois in the article, but that's great. Listen, you can, like I said, if he goes to Kansas, this guy's the coach for life. 10 wins, there's 127 programs. A 10-win program would probably be great at literally maybe 75 to 80%. You know, if they had a 10-win season, because a lot of programs have had a 10-win season in in 10 or plus years. Some even longer than that. But it's Michigan. Michigan is a top 15 job. For all intents and purposes. Because you have the facilities, you have the fan base, you have the boosters. The problem with Michigan is, and I just believe that Jim Harbaugh, you know, the recruiting. This is year six, and you're you're supposed to have it figured out by now. And people can say COVID, COVID, yeah, COVID happened to everybody else. Look at Alabama's program. Look at Ohio State. Look at other programs in the country that's been affected by COVID. Any coach can use that as an excuse for having a bad year this year, but Michigan wasn't doing it as any favors before this year. I will defend Jim Harbaugh on the fact that, listen, maybe expectations are high. But where I won't defend him at is, listen, you're 0-5 against Ohio State. The last coach, Michigan coach to beat Ohio State is now at San Diego State, and that's Brady Hoke. And they ran him out the door. He has more wins than the last two Michigan coaches combined. You know, Hoke and Rich Rodriguez. But the reality for Jim Harbaugh is simply this. What did you do in those 10 win seasons? You went one and two in bowl games. You beat Florida and you went one and four overall. You didn't do nothing with those 10 win seasons. And listen, other schools can get 10 win seasons. So 10 wins could happen. You have the right schedule. You have the talent. Listen, there were some great teams in Michigan under Harbaugh. Especially, you know, his year two. He had a great team. He had some great teams. 
But the reality is, he didn't capitalize. You can't, you're you're three and three against Michigan State. You're 0-5 against Ohio State. You're three, you're right there, you're three and eight against your two biggest rivals. The reality is, I think Jim Harbaugh's checked out. I think he wants to be back in the NFL. And he belongs to the NFL. Listen, when you look at his collegiately, before he got Michigan, he was at Stanford. Didn't set the world on fire at Stanford, exactly, except for his last year. He got the NFL job. He got paid. And I mentioned in the article, he got paid because of the NFL job. Collegiately, you don't get $7 million a year for the record he had at Stanford. Okay, that's just reality. And what we have to understand is that, listen, Jim Harbaugh's not the only guy who I feel. Listen, Jerry Proven at Tennessee, listen, I put that on management. Listen, I'm not saying Butch Jones wasn't the, listen, but Butch Jones, <laughs> he won nine games and they fired him. The next year, he was gone. He was gone. They had Lane Kiffin for one year, gone. Derek Dooley, three years, gone. Then you get Butch Jones. He lasted a little bit longer, four and a half years, gone. Jerry Pruitt, year three, could be out on the door. Philip Fulton, listen. My point is this. What are your expectations if you're Tennessee? You're in the SEC East. Florida, Georgia are better than you. And they will be better than you because, listen, recruiting. You need to get a coach, commit to a coach for at least three Three to four years. Listen, Bush Jones was, I'm not saying he was turning around the program, but he won nine games. He went to bowl games. Every bowl game Tennessee went to, they won under Bush Jones. But he got fired. Here's the reality, folks. What are your expectations? If you're, if, if you're a Tennessee fan, I'm very curious to know what your expectations are. Because I'm all about linear progression, not linear regression. Tennessee was doing okay under Butch Jones. And listen, there's another team in the NFL that learned that linear regression versus, you know, progression. They learned, they learned that lesson. But the reality is, what do you expect? Michigan, I get it. Jim Harbaugh has shown you that this is the cap. You'd argue last year was the cap, but you need to give him a year that was COVID. So, listen. Nobody knew this was going to happen, but that's no excuse for losing and playing as bad as they've been playing. This is year six. Nick Saban left the NFL because he knew he was a college coach. He, he can't coach, but listen, he knew he was he belonged to listen, he won a national championship in college. He was on no path to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. It took him two, it took him. Two years to turn around Alabama. You could argue, oh, Alabama has the talent. No, that's coaching. That's coaching. The reality is Jim Harbaugh, year six, and we're having the discussion about his job. Listen, if you're still talking about should we keep you or fire you in year six, that means you probably should have been let go in year four. That's the reality. And before we transition to a commercial, I want to talk about Mackenzie Milton, who entered the transfer portal 
you know, he had that gruesome knee injury against USF two years ago. And listen, I mentioned UCF earlier. Listen, the McKenzie Milton story, I'll be following his journey. And I can't take credit for, you know, I saw a tweet and I can't take credit for it. Jeff Sharon, who writes of who does very good work for the black and gold banneret for SB Nation, put in a tweet, where should Mackenzie Milton go? You know, wherever he wants to go. I think, you know, I, I may have, you know, I was trying to, you know, paraphrase his quote with that tweet. But I agree with that, with what Jeff Sharon said. I think Mackenzie has earned the right to go anywhere he wants to go. What he did for that program, what he did for UCF. There, there wasn't under no fire, to, you know, he wants to still feel he can do it and play. And he's not wrong. And the fact of the matter is, when you look at this, when you look at his career, he's earned that right. And me, personally, if I had to pick a team, I think Nebraska makes a lot of sense because Scott Frost, who's under hot water in Lincoln, needs a quarterback. Because Martinez is not working out. Get a guy that you know, Mackenzie Milton. Go to if he goes to Lincoln. I'm gonna say this: Nebraska could be if they figure out on defense and play halfway decent defense. You don't. You don't play. You know Wisconsin like defense. You 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 don't play. You know I. You don't play like tough tough defense. But Nebraska could be a contender just like that. Recruits can see that. Oh, he could turn around Mackenzie Mil- Milton's career. He can, he can revive it. He can do that. Scott Frost can do it, and he can do it. And it proves to the Nebraska fan base that he can. And, and speaking of things to prove, when we, when we come back, I want to talk about the team that I mentioned in this segment that I kind of led into that reminds me a lot of Tennessee in a lot of different ways in the NFL. And they finally did something that's long overdue, in my opinion. And also, we go into, are the Steelers really that good? And that's next. And coming up here on the Sports and the World Podcast. And welcome back into the podcast. And the social media for the podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. For Facebook, it's Sports and the World. And for Instagram and Twitter, it's at Sports the World. My personal Instagram is at TheBigNerd77. Personal Twitter is at Ladares underscore Brown. And if you're still here, thank you so much for listening. Ladares Brown here with you. No Chris this week. Let's let's dive into the NFL. We learned something, and I think the team that I talked to in the last segment, the Detroit Lions figured it out because they remind me so much of Tennessee is where you had a guy. You had a guy who, you know, you could have believed him a little bit more, was turning around your program in the same way that Jim Caldwell was turning around your program franchise but listen it took them getting beat by the Texans they made the coaching change and they already knew Bill O'Brien listen Bill O'Brien here's what I say Bill O'Brien the GM got fired 
Bill O'Brien, the coach, was, huh. But Bill O'Brien, the GM, is why Bill O'Brien, the coach, got fired. Listen, if you're not good at one job, then and you're average at the other, then you're going to be out the door. But going back to the Lions, listen. Matt Patricia, in his time, 13-29-1. You want to know why he was fired and the GM was fired? I, I'll, I'll tell you why Matt Patricia was fired. Here's the thing. From the time, from the three years, including this season, since 2018, the Detroit Lions had a total of 18 sacks when they were blitzing. That was That's the second worst in that span in the NFL behind the Raiders in 11. 18 sacks, as a, it's all defensive stats. 21 interceptions, same time frame, second worst in the NFL, behind the Cowboys, 20. So the Lions had 21 interceptions. They allowed 587 first downs via the pass. That's the third worst in that same time frame from 2018 to now. And that's behind Seattle's 619 and the Bucks 589. The defense was bad. Okay, listen, under Jim Caldwell, I'm not saying the defense was the 85 Bears. But, listen, Jim Caldwell went 36, 20, and 36 and 20. He was arguably the best coach this franchise had. You could argue uh, 20 years. No disrespect to Steve Bariuji or Jim Schwartz. But they were, they were they went to the playoffs. And I said, you have a healthy Matt Stafford. This is a playoff team. They had a healthy Matt Stafford. And you could have fooled me. The reality is, folks, is listen. Bob Quinn deserved to be fired because he himself fired Jim Caldwell and essentially said it didn't reach your expectations. What the hell are your expectations? You're the Detroit Lions. Okay, Jim Caldwell won you nine games. You should have you should have gave him the key to the city. You should have gave Jim Caldwell the key to the city. He won nine games in Detroit. Jim Caldwell wasn't the problem. He was the scapegoat because you can't draft. And while he had a good, you know, he drafted Jeff Okuda, he got that right, but he won't be around to see him develop. My problem is, listen, you have to know who to hire and who to fire when it comes to these decisions. Hiring essentially means not rehiring again. Is that look at who you hired and look at who you have to fire. Listen, for, for my Falcons, we had to fire Dimitriov and Dan Quinn because I argue that Thomas Dimitriov, he drafted the players. Dan Quinn got the players there, but, you know, wonk, 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 blow a lead in the Super Bowl wasn't the same sense. So you have to know, do you fire a head coach? Do you fire a GM? Do you fire both? I believe in Chicago, you fire Ryan Pace. You, because listen, he drafted Mitchell Trubisky. He held, listen, Matt Nagy wasn't there for that. You're telling me that you passed on arguably the best quarterback in football 
in a lot of people's eyes, in Patrick Mahomes, and you pass on Deshaun Watson, you couldn't send anybody down there to watch him play? He won a national championship. He beat Ohio State. You're telling me you couldn't send anybody? None of your scouts were available for that? None of your scouts? That's ridiculous. That's why Ryan Pace should be fired. Look at the, listen, I've said the Bears are terrible. I never said Matt Nagy was terrible. Maybe his play calling is terrible, but he's working with what he has. A cook can only function with what he or she has in the kitchen. If all they got are eggs, flour, butter, you know, a couple of pans, some sugar, they got to make the best of it. Because, listen, it's not stockpiled. Nobody's inside the stockpile. That's no different in the NFL. If a GM did not choose to build around and stockpile the franchise with talent, that's on the GM. Now, down the road, if the coach can't coach the talent, then the coach has to go. But the reason why Matt Patricia had to go was simply because, look, the defense was getting worse. Matt's offense was not the problem. Listen, if, if I'm the Detroit Lions, and if I had to make a decision, listen, Robert Saleh, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, would be my very first call. Here's why. Listen, when I saw the 49ers defense, yeah, did they lose the Super Bowl? Sure. But that Niner defense was fantastic. Robert Saleh, moving pieces. You know, listen. Half the time, he didn't have the best defense, but he maximized his talent. What does Detroit Lions problem? What's their main problem? Not enough talent on defense. What do the 49ers, what have they done well? Run the ball. You got DeAndre Swift. You know, Adrian Peterson, you know, whether he'll be there next season, it's a matter of organizational choice. But listen, take the pressure off of Matt Stafford. Bring in Robert Saleh means... You're saying that, hey, we know Matt Stafford can win us games, but let's help him by running it on first and second down. So third down, it makes it easy. We can play action. We got Marvin Jones. We got TJ Hawkinson. We have talent. We have talent. Detroit is not terrible. It's, here's the problem. The coach couldn't coach it, and the GM fired the one guy who actually could. So guess what? Robert Saleh, to me, listen, Eric Benemy could be hired anywhere. That's why they say Eric Benemy. Because to me, you could hire Eric Benemy to go anywhere to these openings. But to me, it's about fit and personality. Robert Saleh makes, per makes perfect sense there. Perfect sense. And speaking of perfect sense, watching the, the Titans and the Colts play, It showed that the Titans are better than the Colts. Listen, my number one problem with the Colts was as great as they play defense, the offense. You know, Phillip Rivers, it was going to be a problem. And we could say, oh, Tennessee's a great defense. Yeah, they are. But listen, they can, anytime they play Derrick Henry, they can't stop it. And they know it's coming. You could put eight in the box. And force Ryan Tannehill to beat you. But they don't do that. They don't do that. 
Derrick Henry, 27 carries, 170 yards, three touchdowns. That's his third game of the. This his third game in his entire career, with with a game with 25 carries, 150 or more yards, two or more rushing touchdowns. His third game in his entire career. Here, here's the thing about the Colts. Well, I like the job that Matt Eberflus is doing. I think the job of what's going on on offense is listen. Frank Reich has to figure out Philip Rivers because you don't have the greatest, deepest receiving core in the world. And that could be a theme for the AFC South as a whole is that they don't have great receiving core aren't great. Maybe the Texans are, are pretty good, but they're not great. And you're going to fall behind when, and if you can't run the ball, then you got Philip Rivers going to look like Philip Rivers, like how he did not in LA, how you looked in San Diego. And and what's more astonishing about what the Titans did is they listen, they've had 33 games where they passed the ball for two less than 250 yards since 2018. That's when Mike Grable took over. That's tied for third behind the Jets and the the Ravens with 34 and the Bears at 33. Remember the Bears we talked about earlier? What separates the Bears from the Titans is, I'm not going to say coaching, because I believe Matt Nagy is a great coach. I really do. What separates is simply this, identity. The Titans have an identity, the Bears don't. The Bears want to be a passing team, but they don't have the quarterback. Look at 33 games, they're tied with the two separate teams. I think another thing is philosophy. I believe that if you're Matt Nagy, you want to sling the ball, but you really can't because you don't have the quarterback to do it. Ryan Tannehill's not setting the ward on fire. People are like, oh, you shouldn't have got the money. No, he's getting paid not to screw up, and he hasn't. This guy threw for less than 100 yards in a playoff game, and they won. He knows his job, but Trubisky and Foles can't do it. And we could argue who's better, who's worse out of the two. I've always said, listen, Nick Foles ain't it. Trubisky ain't it. Well, they're going to go in the draft and find out who's it. And another team that I feel has probably the quarterback position is the Eagles. Listen, that Monday night game was pretty good. You know, Seattle pulled it out. But here's the th- Let me just talk about Russell Wilson. He's 11-1 in games where the teams have three or fewer games in week 10 or later of a season. He's 11 and one. So down the stretch of a season, he's 11 and one because teams who are, who are terrible, that's the way you should do 11 and one. Listen, it's not bad. Also the Seattle Seahawks as a whole, they're 62 and one when leading by four more points at halftime, including the playoffs since 2012. So essentially since Russ got there, that's, listen, we talk about how bad the defense is in Seattle. But Russ has been the most consistent player on that team for almost a decade. You can't dispute that. But what what's also something you can't dispute is, listen, Carson Wentz, he's the only quarterback to start each game this season and have a QBR under 100 in every start. Listen, I was a huge Carson Wentz guy. 
I really was. If you listen, you know, early on this season, I was high on Carson Wentz. I defended Carson Wentz. But what I've seen the last two, three games, listen, and they're still in the NFC least, I meant East. Listen, put in Jalen Hurts because you drafted him in the second round. You left a lot of wide receiver talent on the board. At a position you knew you needed was wide receiver. You needed skilled position players. But you went with the quarterback. So why not give a look at him because you're 3-7-1? Because I believe if you don't make the change, I argue a team like, and people are going to like this. Listen, a team like maybe the Giants. Listen, the Giants, listen, I'm not saying Danny Dimes is the best quarterback by default. But have you seen the NFC least lately? He's probably the better quarterback. Listen, he can't. Listen, do you have turnover issues? Yes. But somehow when he's not making mistakes, he plays pretty good football. Washington football team plays pretty good football. They destroyed Dallas. On, they carved him up. They carved turkeys and hams. They carved every. They carved Dallas every which At this point, you need to bench Carson Wentz. If you're Doug Peterson, and this is another situation where you don't fire Doug Peterson, but Howie Rose, listen, who who drafted drafted Jalen Hurts? It's not Jalen Hurts' fault. I had Jalen Hurts going in the first round. So you could argue maybe there's value, but I expect the Eagles to draft because they said, oh, they believe in Carson Wentz, right? They left a lot of wide receiver talent on the board in the second round where wide receivers were going left and right. And you went with Jalen Hurts. So what does that tell me? You don't believe in Carson Wentz. You don't believe in Carson Wentz, period. But yet, what do I know? Eagles fans, listen. Doug Peterson got the Super Bowl. He's fine. But consider Howie Roseman being out of the door. Speaking out of the door, I want to talk about the Steelers Super Bowl chances that about the listen, but there's they're undefeated. Yeah, but how many close games am I gonna get from an eleven and 0 football team? Eighth game this season decided by less than ten points, and five of those games were by less than five points. Five five or less points. That Dallas game, Dallas hadn't beat until the fourth quarter. So they woke until the Steelers said, Wake up, we're undefeated, we're the better team. It's why I don't trust that. Excuse me. I don't trust the Steelers as double-digit favorites, contingent on the opponent. If it's a team with a bad record, sure. But if it's a team that it's a winning record, they're a couple games above five hundred. You you don't do it because they play down. And listen, speaking of, listen, the Chiefs. Yeah, they lost to the Raiders. Oh, they had a close game against Tampa. But did you see what Patrick Mahomes did just in the first quarter? The first half. 359 passing yards. That's the most since 1991. And since, of course, since 1978. Tyreek Hill, it looked like like Madden out there. The Bucs' defense looked bad. Don't let that score fool you. This defense looked bad. Tom Brady, 11 interceptions, most through 12 weeks of a season of his entire career. It's the most interceptions he's ever thrown. Through week 12 of any of his seasons. If you ask me today who I take for the Super Bowl, 
It's Kansas City because how do I know that? Because anytime Mahomes plays Brady, the winner of that game goes to the Super Bowl. Ah, and they win it. So I'm taking the Chiefs. To me, if you gave me the line of the Chiefs or the field, I'm taking the Chiefs. It's not like, remember back in the day where Tiger Woods was the prime of his career? You just said, well, is it Tiger or the field? They, and they picked Tiger. That's how, I, that's how good I feel about the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes could very well walk away with the second MVP award in, in, back, to, in back to back years. He's that good. And, and the simple reality is, what teams have to understand is, I, I'm not anti-Pittsburgh. I'm pro-consistency. Listen, you could argue back to the college point. I'm not saying, you, you know, in the NFL, I'm not going to blow out teams by 28 points every week. But at least beat them convincingly enough for me to say, hey, they're pretty good. Like, remember when the Chiefs beat the Chief, you know, the Jets? You're like, oh, yeah, okay, we knew who the better team was. Like, pick out a game on the schedule where the, the Steelers had a, played a very decent team. And they played and they played down. Listen, the Dallas Cowboys, they played down. The Ravens, they should have beat. They had a third of their roster was on the COVID or IR list. And it's still in between. Ned. And listen, the Ravens had 90 total passing yards. Trace McSorley was a leading passer, by the way. Former quarterback converted to, I believe, wide receiver. Had more passing yards than Robert Griffin the third. No, no James Conner. So listen, thirty-six total yards for the Steelers running the ball. The Steelers defense could be the MVP, not Big Ben. Listen, people say, "Oh, there was Big Ben." Like, no, stop it. It's not Big Ben, folks. Let it go. And speaking of of letting go, before I let you go on this week's episode, I do want to take the time to say. Say thank you. I I do want to say thank you to each and every person who listens to this show. And you know, as we you know wrap up, we're getting. I may forget this. I may repeat it again at the toward the end of the year. But I want to take time to say thank you for your time. You was reading the articles, watching the videos, listening to to myself or Chris over the last. You know, um, you know, two years. Because I never took the time to say thank you. And and given that, you know, the Thanksgiving holiday passed, I I do thank you because we live in, in a world where you could be doing anything else with your time. But the fact you take time to listen to me or Chris talk about sports and pop culture and everything in between. It means the world. Speaking for me, it means the world to me. And I'm sure it means the world to him as well. So I want to say thank you. You know, for checking us out. You know, giving us a listen. I hope you continue to be a listener. If you're a first-time listener, I hope you enjoy. And to see what we're about. Because you're not only get podcasts, you're going to get articles, you're going to get a whole slew of things. So I'm grateful to all of you who are listening and reading and following us. It means the world to me. And until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius, and Chris will be back with me next week. But until then, be real, be you, be blessed, and you continue to be safe from all of us here, from the sports 
and the World Podcast.